I said to the people of the Philippines whence I came, I shall return. Sheboygan, I'd kill him in Sheboygan. All my friends back in my hometown, Milwaukee. Welcome to the Wisconsinology Podcast. My name is Frank Anderson. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsinology's own poster, Monsters, Myths, and Legends of Wisconsin. Check it out at wisconsinology.com or at Etsy. Just type in Wisconsinology into the search bar and you'll get there. And now, this week's episode, At Midnight, I'll Take Your Bones. March 8, 1913, Nina, Wisconsin, an employee of the Northwestern Railroad was sent to investigate a one-room shack adjacent to railroad property behind a boarding house. A loud, violent, and continued coughing could be heard inside the structure, a thin-walled shack barely five strides wide. The railroad man approached the building and opened a flimsy wooden latch door. Inside, he found a man, slight of figure, lying in a small bed. The man was in the final stages of consumption, one of the many great killing diseases of an era filled with killing diseases. In his right hand and close to his face, he clutched a bloody rag. There were numerous scars on his hands. A single wool blanket covered his body. He was fully dressed. It was cold. The railroad man kept a distance and asked his name. The man in bed answered in a hoarse whisper. Jim Hall was an Australian. He was the most gifted prize fighter of his generation. He fought at the very end of the bare knuckle era and at the beginning of the gloved era. He was handsome, magnetic, friendly. Everyone loved him. He loved women, wine, song. His name was a household word at a time when boxing was the number one sport in America. He was a world-class alcoholic with an explosive temper. He delighted in the pure physicality of fighting both in and out of the ring. In the end, the great Jim Hall would be secretly buried in an unmarked grave in Nina, Wisconsin, in order to protect his bones. Just 20 years earlier, in 1893, Jim Hall fought his hated rival, the great Bob Fitzsimmons, for the world middleweight title. Fitzsimmons was the hardest puncher of his generation. He once killed a man in the ring. At stake in March 1893 was not only the largest, but the most talked about purse in boxing history, $40,000. Adjusted for inflation, that's over $1 million today. In 1893, it was an unthinkable sum of money to be won at a sporting event. The two men had fought four times previously, The last time was in Sydney, Australia. Hall, the reigning middleweight champ of Australia, took Fitzsimmons out in four rounds. The victory earned him an invitation to the United States to fight the reigning world champion, Jack Dempsey. However, just before his departure, 
Jim Hall got into a bar fight. Jim always got into bar fights. He liked it. In this fight, on the eve of his departure, Hall's opponent ended it by jamming a steak knife through his hand. Hall had to postpone his trip. Upon learning of Jim Hall's misfortune, Bob Fitzsimmons immediately caught the next ship to the United States, and he took Jim Hall's place in the title fight with Dempsey. Fitzsimmons went on to defeat Jack Dempsey, and he claimed the world middleweight crown. Jim Hall arrived several months later. He won a number of quickly arranged fights in the upper Midwest, and soon the title fight between Jim Hall and Bob Fitzsimmons was arranged. In preparation for the fight, Hall worked out at the finest fight training gymnasium the world had ever seen, John Klein's Manly Art Institute in Beloit, Wisconsin. Klein was one of the most respected trainers of his time, certainly the most advanced in his thinking and approach, and he believed that he had, in Jim Hall, the single finest athlete the fight world had ever seen. Jim Hall had the build of a modern fighter. When you think of Jim Hall, think of Muhammad Ali. Their styles were similar. Like Ali, Hall floated like a butterfly, a sometimes drunken butterfly, but he always stung like a bee. While in Beloit, the Australian took his training seriously. There is no doubt in the mind of any keen-eyed fighting fan of this era that a well-trained and sober Jim Hall was unbeatable. But as always happens in the story of Jim Hall, fate intervenes and Jim Hall does the rest. The fight was scheduled to take place in St. Paul, Minnesota, and the prize money was set at $12,000. Popular opinion in Minnesota was against the fight. On the day of the fight, the governor of Minnesota sent the state national guard to the fight venue. They surrounded the ring and closed it down. The title bout was now postponed for over a year. To bide time, Jim Hall fought a number of bouts. He won all of them. The trick during this time was to keep him away from the bottle. His manager was a steady, quiet man, but another hard drinker named Charles Parson Davis. In August 1891, Jim Hall, three days into a bender at a tavern in Mount Clemens, Michigan, started an argument with Parson Davis, his manager. Hall took a big blind swing at him with a whiskey bottle. Davis picked up a small paring knife and shoved the blade into Jim Hall's neck. He missed the jugular vein by a quarter inch. Jim Hall recovered and went to England, won the British middleweight title and narrowly escaped serious injury in a number of drunken brawls. Upon his return to the United States, Jim Hall went back to training with John Klein in Beloit. The official date for the World Middleweight Championship was now March 12, 1893. John Klein put everything he had into preparing the Australian for the fight, and Hall thanked him by slacking off, sneaking in extra meals, and drinking a quart of Burgundy every day. On fight day in New Orleans, a great deal of money was on Jim Hall. All across the United States, in cities large and small, thousands gathered near telegraph offices to receive blow-by-blow -blow accounts of the fight. America was truly in love with this match and in love with the carefree, personable Australian. Hall arrived in New Orleans, overweight, soft, 
and ready to party. He was drunk the night he entered the ring. In the fourth round, Bob Fitzsimmons, a former blacksmith, caught Hall on the underside of his chin with a full body punch, a cartoon punch. Jim Hall squashed and stretched into the air and collapsed in a heap. Here's the observations of a man who was ringside. He was raised off his feet by the power of the blow, and he landed hard and cold. For a moment, we thought he was dead. Bob Fitzsimmons was still the champ. Jim Hall never recovered his momentum. John Klein, having lost a small fortune on the fight, washed his hands of Jim Hall and he left New Orleans. He would never handle another fighter again. Jim Hall did that to people. For Jim Hall, the years that followed the 1893 title fight were filled with public drunkenness, arrests for assault and battery, and later theft. In spite of it all, his boxing matches were sometimes a marvel. Win or lose, drunk or sober, he continued to impress on sheer athletic ability. But no one, not even the great Jim Hall, could keep up with the Jim Hall lifestyle. The year 1901 found him out of work, out of money. He had fought his last fight, and he was wandering from city to city, relying on his many friends. He contracted TB that year. In 1912, he was bedridden, broke, and craving alcohol at a charity ward in Chicago. He was reduced to sneaking into the morgue of the sanitarium at night to steal valuables from the pockets of the recently deceased. One day, a Chicago surgeon named Dr. Roddy paid a visit. The doctor had a proposition. He offered Hall $150 half payment for ownership of his body upon death. Dr. Roddy planned to exhibit the fighter's skeleton across the country. He figured that a dead ex-champ could still attract a paying crowd. Jim Hall took the money and embarked on his final bender. It was both pathetic and short-lived. Dr. Roddy came calling to check on Jim. He brought a contract and the final payment. Jim Hall was spooked. He grabbed the contract and floored the doctor with a hard punch to the jaw and fled to Nina, Wisconsin. There, a businessman, an old friend, and several local Jim Hall fans provided the Australian a room at a hotel and gave him some pocket money. After a week, Hall's condition began to deteriorate. He had to leave the hotel. It was no place for a man in the advanced stages of tuberculosis to be hacking in a place full of healthy people. He needed to be quarantined. A room at a boarding house was found for him, but residents complained. He was moved from one place to another until finally he ended up in a shack near the tracks where he was found loudly hacking on the morning of March 8, 1913. His condition was reported, officials were notified, and Hall's friends got together, pooled their money, and arranged for him to be taken to the River Pines Tuberculosis Sanitarium in Stevens Point, an hour train ride to the west. When it was time to leave, the withered fighter was no longer able to stand and had to be carried on and then off the train. Jim Hall lingered a few days at the sanitarium, 
relative comfort. He quietly passed away on March 12, 1913, almost 20 years to the day of his most famous fight, the night Bob Fitzsimmons floored him. He was given a proper burial in Nina. However, when an attempt to raise money for a fitting headstone caught the attention of Dr. Roddy, Jim's friends decided that the burial site of Jim Hall would never be revealed to anyone. A year later, World War I began. The years passed and Jim Hall was nearly forgotten. Bill Schutte, a historian of boxing's early era, dug up the entire tale and brought it to light. He also located the grave of Jim Hall and in 2006, Bill bought Jim a headstone. It reads, Jim Hall, prize fighter. Jim Hall is buried at Plot 283 at Oak Hill Cemetery, a most amazing place in Nina, Wisconsin, in the heart of the Fox River Valley. For Wisconsinology and Wisconsinology Podcast, my name is Frank Anderson.